following on from our governance discussion we had in June, we're going to continue the discussion today. I'm Doug Ewing, a partner at the KPMG Canada and head of our major projects group. And with me again today is Don Fairbairn, the current board chair with the City of Calgary Green Line Project Board and the board chair of Hool Electric. And Jane Bird, a senior legal advisor at Bennett Jones, a director of the Canadian Infrastructure Bank Board and a director with the Governance Committee for Western Forest Products. Both whom spent most of their careers involved with large complex undertakings, both projects and programs, and the governance and leadership aspects of them. We spoke about the importance of good governance and in order to set your large complex projects and programs up for success. We talked about why it's critical, what it means, and the timelines of it, and how to best implement it. There, there were some excellent questions asked during and after the June session, and we're going to answer some of them now. During the discussion at the June session, there are mention of how it can be challenging to align stakeholders across the spectrum, i.e. from board and governance oversight down to the technical and execution team. Question asked is, are there any best practices you can share on aligning the internal team of the stakeholders? It's difficult, I would say. Um, so starting from the premise that I think we can agree that projects of any scale are becoming more complicated in the sense that they require to be successful a broader range of disciplines and expertise that then was the case, say, even five years ago, but certainly 10 or 20 years. And by that, I mean, you know, you have your technical and your engineering expertise, you have your financial expertise, and you would probably have some sort of communication or stakeholder engagement expertise and, and probably some sort of regulatory permitting stream. But in today's world, you're going to need to add within the regulatory stream alone, the capital E environmental permitting, the First Nations uh, engagement and consultation, the um, community and call it community municipal consultation. And that's just within regulatory alone. So if we take as a given that that table of internal uh, expertise is bigger. The challenge uh, that's been posed in the question as to how you get alignment amongst all those contributors becomes ever more difficult, I think, for, for the project manager. And I think in part it depends on the style of the leader and it depends on which of the disciplines sort of ends up being the lead. Because in my, I've said many, many times, I mean, I'm a lawyer, ended up being a project manager. I've seen fantastic engineers that are project managers and I've seen fantastic finance people that are project managers and I've seen fantastic biologists some of us will know of whom I speak who is also a fantastic project manager so I don't think it's there's necessarily to say that any discipline is restricted from achieving the senior ranks of project management and they bring a perspective so it'll depend a lot on the style of the leader in my experience and this takes a little bit of uh Don spoke uh, in the last question, a couple of questions ago about humility. I th think it takes effort to create humility around an internal table, just like it takes to create humility at a board. And by humility in that context, I mean, yes, I am the senior engineer. And yes, I've been, I've developed 500 hydroelectric generating stations in my 45 year career. And I am the unquestioned expert in this area, hands down. Uh, I know it and so does everyone else. But I actually have enough humility to say 
maybe how I talk about this project in the context of a First Nations consultation is an area where somebody else might be able to add some value here. Or how I'm going to package this station to present it to regulators in today's environment and how I might communicate it to political nervous Nellies in today's environment and any of those areas. Maybe uh, there's some experience at the table that could help me in my world make this more successful. So I think, first of all, it's creating as a leader and setting an example as a leader of creating a little bit of that humility by example. Just say, you know, if I'm a lawyer running a project, I might not claim to have all the expertise on the legal side, but rather might turn to my finance guy or I might turn to someone else and say, hey, what do you think about that? And if you create that kind of environment where people can contribute and, and add in without, oh, this isn't engineering, therefore you're not having a conversation, or, oh, this isn't First Nations, because it goes all ways around. The, you know, this is a First Nations consultation, so I actually don't need engineers in the room. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think if you could create a, a, a kind of equity in the room, it goes a long way. And then I would say that I had a, a little rule of thumb that seemed to work pretty well. And that was, if at the end of the day, the topic that you were dis discussing was material enough in nature to be worrying about, the, the person in whose uh, area it resides, so if we're talking about, I don't know, a structural element of a bridge, which has environmental uh, ramifications because it's in the middle of a river, which has First Nations ramifications because it's a fishing area for First Nations, which has, you know, there's probably a list of 50 things. At the end of the day, if we're talking about whether the bridge is going to fall down or not, the guy with the PNG at the end of his name gets to make the call. You just hope that in making that call, you would have created an environment where he or she has had the benefit of somebody saying, hey, Sally, can we move that bridge abutment over here? Because if we can, it solves a whole wetland problem and some First Nations problem. And, it, and you'd hope that Sally might go, I don't know, I'll, I'll take that away. Maybe my guys can do something about it. And, and that's all, I think, what you're trying to do in terms of finding alignment. It's creating a place where everybody feels like they can contribute. But at the end of the day, you know, the guy adding, adding down and across is the chief financial officer, and he's accountable for that spreadsheet. And it's his call. And the guy responsible professionally for that bridge, it's his call. So, you, you know, at the end of the day, you can't, this isn't, it's not too fluffy. But, but I think the key is balancing um, some rigor with the opportunity for everybody to contribute. That's the, best, that's the most I can really offer on best practice for internal alignment. Don? Thanks, Jane. Good question, Doug. I, let me just set up my response a little bit. Um, it is always situational. And I think it's far easier to, um, as it relates to, as the question was structured, internal stakeholders, which I translate into, well, the organization, the people uh, within the organization that um, have to uh, support the way in which decisions get made, which is what Jane's talking about. It's clearly, um, from a best practice perspective, much easier to introduce a governance model very early in the gestation, if you will, of a project, early in the development phase. Because then, of course, the, the purpose of the project, the values associated with the work um, get uh, shared right off the get-go between the team and the board if, in fact, a governance framework is being introduced because a project is failing, 
Well, that's a totally different kettle of fish. Much tougher to do because people are going to be defensive. Some may feel they've failed and they're going to be quite worried about um, oversight because it may make them feel vulnerable. That, oh, they're going to know that I don't know what I'm doing or I do know what I'm doing, but they're not going to believe that I know what I'm doing. So the missing ingredient, I think, in every one of these best practices for getting the organization internal stakeholders aligned is creating trust. What's the purpose of the board? What is it that a high functioning team uh, must do in order to make the best possible decisions? So um, that's why I say it's circumstantial. And I'll say this, no matter where you are at the beginning or in the middle, uh, you have to do a gap analysis. You have to probably have a third party come in and say, here's what we can all agree we need. And let's uh, assess our performance against what we think we need in a properly uh, governed and led effort, right? And we've talked about this before. We've talked about accountability. We've talked about authority. We've talked about alignment, transparency. And if you look at all the reasons projects fail, particularly the big ones, it's actually not as a consequence of a bad design or as a consequence of bad technical judgment. It uh, is typically a consequence of the softer issues. The inability, as Jane has mentioned, to comply with regulations. Uh, you have a level of arrogance, you just drive through that river, or you don't take the time uh, to truly embrace the views of the impacted stakeholders. And said differently, your loyalty becomes less a loyalty to what the right solution is versus a loyalty to each other within the project bubble. And that's really why I think oversight can be very valuable. It's to penetrate the loyalty that very strong project directors, project managers have. It becomes a um, you know, a paternal or maternal little group of leaders that protects each other rather than protecting the interests writ large of the project. So to me, best practice, um, do a gap assessment, um, create in that the opportunity for people to agree what is required internally and externally from, say, a shareholder and then work very hard with the team to get them to acknowledge with some humility. Yeah, we can't do it the way we've done it to date. And you know, here's a couple of different options. So involve the team, but don't make it their decision. And um, the earlier you can put a governance framework in place, the better. Do you have any experience with collaborative delivery models? For example, alliancing, IPD, Dan, do you have any recommendations on how to set governance up for success in, in these environments? How do you adapt the governance model with the procurement model? Uh, thanks, Doug. The, uh, my experience is that the overall governance framework um, doesn't need to change. We may, in circumstances where as an owner, um, we're taking on greater risk, want to have um, more commercial um, depth and perspective on the board. But the overall 
framework of the governance model doesn't change. Um, the principles of oversight uh, related to um, creating accountability and authority sufficient to hold on to that accountability, the absolute need for transparency, and as we've discussed on many occasions, getting all the participants, stakeholders, contractors properly aligned, um, which is really the interests and the objective of, of alliance contracting, is what the board tries to do. I'd say this, um, I think one of the real problems we have, at least on the public sector, but even within private sector owners, is as risks are retained, and more and more risks are retained by owners, we get into a problem with respect to the quality of the owner's team. The real work, and I think it's fair to say this, in an alliancing model happens within the team, not at the board level. And there's a real constraint in the market around uh, really well-qualified uh, leadership. And where we're now in a, a, an environment where contractors expect owners to retain more risk, um, the owner has to uh, up the capacity of the delivery team. So um, it's as, a, as much about the risk associated with the owner's team being able to operate with greater retained risk as it is about the governance room. And I think, um, you know, that's the real issue we face. Now, let me conclude by saying that the increase in retained risk, the more an owner must collaborate and work with the contractor because the risks are being shared. Absolutely, the board has to be uh, more available, has to ensure that decisions are made in a timely manner, that a very clear delegation of authority is in place, and that the team has a very close relationship and open relationship with the board. Because as uh, we all know, risks have the propensity to back up on each other. And it's really important to stay ahead of the game, really important for the team to be able to report up to the board and give them on a forecast basis, a real sense of, of the um, issues around schedule, the issues around cost and the quality of the relationship with the contractor. So just to conclude, I, I think the governance framework stays the same for the most part. The real problem and the real opportunity is in improving the owner's delivery team. Thank you again, both for joining. Uh, that closes off the discussion for today. Please look for the next recorded question and answer session with our industry experts who will be posted soon. Mm -hmm.